Amen. Great job, Miss Joni. Wonderful. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> go ahead and find the book of Mark chapter 8. We've been going through this context on Sunday night, so I'm going to take just a minute and catch us all up, and then we will continue on with our main text. From Mark chapter 1 to Mark chapter 8, we see thousands and thousands of people coming to Jesus. Thousands and thousands of people are coming to Jesus as he ministers. Jesus has driven out demons. He has cleansed the lepers. He has healed a paralytic. He has taken the man with a withered hand and given full restoration. He has healed a woman that had an issue of blood. She had been to all the doctors, been to all the clinics, been to all the hospitals, couldn't find any help. But when she came to Jesus, she found healing. Jesus has raised one to life who was dead. He has fed the multitudes not once but twice. We're talking thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. He's given sight to one who is not seen. And as all this has taken place, the crowd is getting larger and larger and larger. In fact, as you look through the early chapters, let me give you a couple of examples. In Mark chapter 2, verse 4, it says, And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. Again in Mark 2, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Mark 3, and when the great crowd heard what he was doing, they came to him. Again in Mark 3, and they took his disciples, he told them to have a boat ready because of the crowd, lest they crush him. There's so many people, it's getting dangerous. There's so many people, it could lead to injury. The crowd is getting larger and larger and larger. Before you get to Mark chapter 10, the word crowd is used almost 40 times. The Bible says the people are in amazement. In chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 5, chapter 9, chapter 10, the Bible tells us the people are watching Jesus and they are utterly amazed. They say, we ain't ever seen nothing like this before. That's East Texas talk. But they are amazed at what Jesus is doing. And so then when you get to Mark chapter 8, verse 27, you see that Jesus is walking on the way with the disciples, and he asks them a question. As he walks, he says, who do people say that I am? As you're going about your life, and as you go to Walmart, and as you go to Starbucks for a cup of coffee, what are you hearing about me? What are people saying about me? And the disciples turn and they say, well, some say you're Elijah. Others say you're John the Baptist. And still others say you are a great prophet. You're something great. These are the highest remarks they can make about Jesus, but notice they still fall way short. He said, you're, you're Elijah, you're John the Baptist, you're one of the prophets. And Jesus says, but wait a minute, but who do you say that I am? It doesn't matter about the popular opinion. It doesn't matter about the outsiders. It doesn't matter what you hear about me. Who do you say that I am? Every one of us in here, we must answer that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you in your life? 
Is he a great man? Is he a great teacher? Is he a religious leader? Who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter responded, and he boldly said, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. Christ comes from the Old Testament Messiah. He said, you are the Messiah. Now, Peter was right, but he didn't quite know what that meant. Peter was expecting the Messiah to come and that the Messiah would come in authority. Peter expected, as did the other Jews, that the Messiah would come in and he would set up this massive kingdom. He would kick the Romans out and everything would be good. Peter expected that when the Messiah came, life would be easy, they would have lots of money, and everything would go calmly for them. And I just want you to notice this morning, Peter didn't quite get it. He didn't quite understand. He didn't quite realize who Jesus was. There was more to Jesus than what Peter saw. And so Jesus begins to try to explain that to the disciples, to Peter, and to the followers. Rather than become warriors, they were going to have to suffer. So if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 8, that's all the introduction. Mark chapter 8, we're looking at verse 34 and following. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and following. Go ahead and rise to your feet when you find that, please. Just an honor and reverence of the Holy Word of God. Mark chapter 8, and we're going to pick up in verse 34. And it says, In calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, thank you for your word and how awesome it is and how it comes in and it pierces us to the heart. And Lord, I pray during the next few moments, God, that you will, you will come into our presence, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts, that you will challenge us, and that you will show every single one of us here what you want out of our life. Lord, as we look and we study what it truly means to be one of your followers, I pray that we will rise to the occasion. Lord, I pray that if we have fooled ourselves, that you will take the blinders off and we will walk out of here understanding completely where we are. Lord, may you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> The passage before us is really a death blow to what we see in contemporary Christianity. Much of modern Christianity is bent on self-centeredness and self-consumption. When we look for a church, we're looking for what I can get out of it. 
We're looking for me and what I want and what my family wants. And much of Christianity has been turned to where we're trying to get all that we can out of it. Christianity has been redefined as get. And there are many who believe that if we follow Christ, it will lead us to a life of health, a life of wealth, and a life of happiness. There are men who are getting up and they're preaching this morning and they're standing before a large group of people and they're saying that what you've got to do is you've got to go to God and you must demand your rights. If you look at your life and you don't find great wealth and great health, it's because you don't have enough faith to appropriate what is actually yours. They say that Christianity is designed for you to get everything that you need and everything that you want. But I want to submit to you this morning that there is much more to the gospel than that. And if that is your belief of Christianity, then you have prostituted the divine intention of the gospel. To follow Jesus means that we will receive and we will receive forever and ever. But according to the scriptures, there is pain before the gain and there is the cross before the crown and there is suffering before the glory and there is sacrifice before the reward. And I believe that what the Lord is saying to us is as we follow him, as we follow Christ, we will win by losing. We will be great by serving. We are called to give up before we gain. And so Jesus says, and he says it not only to the disciples, but he says it to the crowd all around him. He wants everybody to get this. It does not matter where you are this morning in your spiritual journey. It could be that you have followed Christ for years and years. This is for you. It could be that you're not a follower of Christ and you're just looking into it. This is for you. He called everyone to himself and the Bible says that Jesus said, if anyone would come after me. You know what that means? If anyone wants to be my follower, if anyone wants to claim Christ, if you want to claim to be a Christian, if you want to be one of my disciples, if you say that you are a believer, if you say that you are born again, anyone who would come after me. And the latest study shows that in America, 75% of people claim this. Three out of four people that you run into in your daily activities, they claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it says, if you're claiming to be one of my followers, if you're thinking about being one of my followers, let me show you exactly what that means in your life. Well, first let me show you what it's not, okay? Do you know what it's not? Being a follower of Jesus is not joining a church. Amen? Being a follower of Jesus does not mean that you come into church and you join the church and then you sit on a pew year after year after year. Did you know that you can be a member of the church and still be lost? You can be. Do you know that here at Woodland Hills, we have over 2,000 people associated with this church? Now, I'm not a great mathematician, and this is a good crowd here this morning. 
But this is nowhere close to 2,000 people. There are many people associated with the church, but that does not mean that they are a true follower. You know what else it, it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean you're a follower if you go through the baptism waters. That, that, that doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Now, if you are a follower, it ought to be that step in obedience where we symbolically show the death and the resurrection of Christ. But there are many who go through the baptism waters, and all it is is going through the waters, right? That, that's all it is. There's nothing more to it because they never really became a follower of Jesus. You know, you're not a follower of Jesus just because you came from a family of believers. It doesn't make you a follower. You're not a follower of Jesus just because you try to live a good life. There are many people who believe as long as I do more good deeds than bad deeds, then I'm going to be okay in the end. The problem is that's not biblical. It's not scriptural. And so we try to come in and say, I can give money, I can be a part of the church, I can sing in the choir, I can teach a class, I can drive a bus, I can work with Awanas, I can do all these things, and then maybe I will earn it. But there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. And that's what makes Christianity different. Christianity is the only religion in the world that teaches that man can do nothing to earn his way into heaven. Men must completely rely upon the grace of God, and we are saved by faith in the death and the resurrection of Christ. Now, with that faith comes works. That's why James said that faith without works is it's dead. So there will be works behind it. So Jesus stood, and he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let him deny himself. Now, the word deny, it means to disregard, to pay no attention to, or to say no to. So it could be translated, if anyone would come after me, let him totally disregard himself. If anyone would come after me, let him be willing to pay no attention to himself. The cost of discipleship always involves self-denial. It means that I no longer live for myself. The problem is that in our culture, self-denial is missing, isn't it? The discipline of self-denial is missing. Just think about your life. What do you do when you want something? You get it, right? Right? If there's something that we want, many times we go out and we get it. When we, we want to buy something, we buy it. If we don't have the money for it, what do we do? We put it on that credit card. Do you know that the average family has over $16,000 in credit card debt? Do you know what that shows? It shows that we lack self-control, we lack self-discipline, and we lack self-denial. And so average family has $16,000 in credit card debt, and they pay 18% interest on that debt. And so what we do is we see something like a pair of shoes that we want. We can't afford it, and so we buy it anyway, and we spend the next three years paying off a pair of shoes. Guys, that is ridiculous. That is just insanity to do that. But that is what we do, and the reason we do it is because we have no self-denial in our life. And so we've got people who are 
going around and they're living in homes that are, are too expensive for their income. They're driving cars they can't afford. They're wearing clothes that are too extravagant. And the reason is because we cannot tell ourselves no. And most look around and they say, I have no clue where my money is going. The reason is, is because we're wasting it. We're just spending it like crazy. What about this? Anybody tried dieting lately? Somebody said, man, I'm always dieting. I just never do it well, right? There's always a diet going on, but dieting is tough, isn't it? It's hard. It, it involves this self-denial when you're sitting at the table and there's all this good food and you want to just keep on eating and eating and eating. You, you want to judge your self-control? Go to your favorite Mexican restaurant. I like jalapeno tree lately. And go sit down and try to limit the number of chips that you eat. Go sit down and say, I want to have 10 chips before my meal comes. You know what, what happens? You sit there and you begin to eat those chips. And as soon as the basket gets halfway full, they bring another basket. And you eat that basket and they bring another basket. And it just keeps on going and going and going. As a culture, we have no self-denial. When there is a craving or a lust or a desire, we use all of our energy to make sure that it's met. Now, notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, if you would follow me, you might practice self-denial. That's not what he said. He didn't say, if you are my follower, you will probably practice self-denial. Every one of us in here this morning, if we are a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, our life will show it because we will deny ourselves. So what are the things that we must deny? We deny anything that does not please the Lord. Let me give you a few examples, and these are just out of my life, okay? So don't get mad at me because this is out of my life. You can't argue with that, okay? In our life, we have gotten big into baseball lately. If you're with us on Sunday nights, you hear some stories about that. We love it. I mean, we're going to the, the baseball parks. We're having a good time. My boys, they are about to be eight. They would play baseball all day, every day, forever. It's almost they love it. I mean, they love to play baseball, and they've gotten to where they are pretty good at it, pretty good at baseball. And so we go to the parks, and what's happened lately is we'll go and we will be playing and uh, the other coaches on the other team will see the boys playing. And after the game, they'll come up and they'll say, your boys are pretty good. I say, well, thank you. You know what you need to do? You need to get those boys on a, uh, a weekend team. You need to get those boys on a select team because they're, they're good, but that would really push them to the next level. And so I say, well, no, we, we go to church. We worship on Sundays. You see, they don't play just on Saturdays. They play on Sundays a lot of the time. And so we, we just keep on going. And the next week, the same thing happens again. Somebody comes up, man, your boys did good tonight. They hit good. They feel good. Are you on a select team? No, sir, we're, we're not. Well, you really ought to get them on a select team. And so I, I remember I went home one night, and Brittany and I were talking. Now, it was never a question, okay? Sunday is the Lord's Day in our house. But I was kind of moping about it a little bit. And we were talking. I said, baby, I just feel like, you know, the boys love baseball, and they're going to want to play as they get older. And I just hate that they're going to miss out on these opportunities while these other kids are playing weekends, and they're playing all the time. And I'll never forget, she looked at me, and she said, don't you think God's going to bless us 
for living a life that honors him. It, it was good. It, it kind of hit me right there. <clears throat> but, but, but it's one of those things that we all have different hobbies, right? We have different things that we're into. Maybe for you it's fishing. Maybe it's hunting. Maybe it's whatever it is. We have different things that we enjoy. But as people, if we're not careful, we take those hobbies, and instead of being a simple hobby, they begin to take the place of God in our life. And there are many people who go through life and they are living for a silly hobby. They're living for a football game where these men are chasing after this pigskin like it is life and death. It doesn't matter. It's not important. But there are many people who were living based upon their hobby. And so when he talks about denying self, it means that we look at our life and we look at what is driving us. What is it that excites you? What is it that moves you? What is it that has crept in and taken the place of God in your life? Let me be honest on another one. I like nice things. Anybody else just be honest? You like nice things? I struggle with materialism. I do. I like nice things. Last year, about a year, year and a half ago or so, I was getting ready for a new car. My car is over 10 years old now. You know, it, it's getting to the point. It's time to get a new one. And so I had already gone to the dealership and got some brochures. You ever been to that point? Man, that's fun. You know, you go, you look in the window and the guys are coming out. Hey, can I help you? And you're just kind of shopping around. And so I had brochures for some trucks. I had some brochures for some SUVs. And man, these things were nice. Some of you got cars like this. You get in them on a cold day and it warms your backside up. <laughs> My car doesn't do that. It doesn't. But that is nice. And so I'm thinking, man, maybe one day I'll get one. So I'm, I'm looking, I'm shopping, I'm, I'm watching, you know, trying to find a good deal. And then I found out Brittany was pregnant. <laughs> and we decided we better wait a little while on the car. You look at your life and you look at your family and you say, maybe this isn't the best time right now. Maybe later, maybe soon, okay. But right now, I've got to deny myself a little bit because this is not what is best. Could we get the car? Sure. But would it affect the way that we can be generous? Yes, it would. Would it affect the way that we can give to the church? Yes, it would. And so in our life, there is this self-denial that says, this is not the best time for us. Let's wait just a little bit longer. Can I tell you, I struggle with, with pride a little bit. I struggle with what people think about me. I, I, I want you to like me. I want you to look at me, and I want to do things that, that you like. And if I'm not careful, I'm more pleased in you liking me than pleasing God. And so there's this self-denial in my life that I've got to be aware of, and I've got to say it's not about pleasing people, but it's about pleasing God. Well, let me give you another just real simple one. We were watching this show a while back. You ever watch a show, and you can tell from the beginning you're going to like it? You know what I'm saying? You're watching this show, and you're just ready to watch, like, the whole five seasons in one night. It's like, I don't care if we've got to work tomorrow. Let's just finish the show. <laughs> and so we started this show and we really thought it was going to be good. It was this, I mean, this hero of a guy, and he's going through. He's saving the world. He is tough, and we're just, we're digging it. I mean, we are liking it. All of a sudden, the guy took the Lord's name in vain. In that moment, there was a choice. Nobody else would have known about it. It's me and my wife, and we heard that word, and we looked at each other. Now, we could have pretended like we didn't hear it, 
We could have just kept on going because we really wanted to see what happened. Was he going to save the world or not? I don't know. we got to find out. But in that moment, the flesh said, nobody's going to know. It's not a big deal. Just, just watch it. You already bought it. Just watch it. But the Lord said, that does not honor me. And so we had to make a choice. Are we going to watch it or will we turn it off? You see, what I'm trying to get you to see, what I'm trying to understand is that a life of self-denial comes into every little part of our life. Every little part of our life, it comes down to what we watch. It comes down to what we listen to. It comes down to where we go. It comes down to all the minute details in our life. The follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has built his life around self-denial. Discipleship is not a part-time volunteer job. Discipleship is not an extracurricular activity. Discipleship is not for just the big-time Christians. Discipleship is for me and it's for you. To live a life of self-sacrifice, it's for me and it is for you. Those who deny themselves say no to the I that would enslave them, and they say yes to the God who leads them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, to deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is he leads the way, keep close to him. Self-denial, it means that he leads the way, and I just stay close. He leads the way, and I just stay close. For some, it means leaving security and going to the unknown. For the proud, it means renouncing status and honor. For the greedy, it means renouncing the appetite for wealth. For the complacent, it means to renounce the love of ease. For the faint-hearted, it means to, to abandon the craving of security. For the violent, it means to reject the desire for revenge. For the gossip, it means to fight against the urge to spread rumors. For the one who is addicted to pornography, alcohol, drugs, it means to resist those urges because they will destroy your life. I have no idea what it is in your life. I have no idea. Every one of us, it's different. But I do believe as you're sitting here this morning, the Lord is showing something in your life that you need to deny. I believe if you're listening, if you're paying attention, the Lord is convicting you of something right now. Right now, there should be a conviction in your heart. And it says, this does not honor me. This has taken too great of a spot in your life. Something that you're unwilling to hand over to God. Something that you are unable to renounce. And the choice is yours to keep living for it or to follow God. Matthew 6 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You see, as long as you are living for yourself, you will not live for God. Let me say that again. As long as I am living for myself, I am unable to live for God. And in my life, when it's all about me, and it's all about my rights, and it's all about my, you ever get opinionated? 
You just say, my opinion matters. When it's all about my opinion and it's all about my criticism, I am unable to follow God when it's all about me and my life. Now listen to what the Lord says. Let me give you a few verses. 2 Corinthians 5.15. It says, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what those verses say? I don't live for myself any longer. Now who do I live for? Live for the Lord. I live for the Lord. Myself has been crucified, and now I live a life that honors God. More important than your success or your job or your bank account, more important than all of these things is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said this. He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know what's tough? It's not just the sin that we've got to get rid of. Some of it can be good stuff. You know what drives me? I want to be a great father and a great husband. I really want that. I mean, I, I, want, I want to tell my, my boys, I want to say, man, Daddy loves you, and I'm proud of you, and I want to be there for them every step of the way. As Kaysen grows up, I want her to know that Daddy loves you so much. I'm so proud of you. I'm so thankful for you. I want my wife to know that I am so in love with her every single day. But you know what I struggle with? I struggle with placing my family in front of God sometimes. Living for my family. I, I, we, we try to instill this into our boys, and so I'll tell them sometime, I'll be telling them how much I love him. Mason, you know, Daddy sure loves you, and I am so proud of you. And he'll say, but Daddy, you don't love me more than you love God, do you? I said, no, baby. We love God first, and then comes everything else. The Bible talks about a, a man who came to Jesus, and he was wealthy. And he said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be your follower? What must I do to be saved? And Jesus went through the Ten Commandments. He said, all those I've kept since I was a child. He said, okay, one thing you've got left. Sell all that you've got, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. Remember what the Bible says? The Bible says the man turned away sad because he was very wealthy. He was very wealthy, and so he made the decision in that moment, God is not as important as my wealth. God is not as important as my things. Is there anything in your life that you would not give up for Jesus? I'm not saying he's asking you to. Nothing wrong. You've been successful. Praise the Lord for that. But is that more important to you than God? Is there anything that you would not give up for the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, the calling of Jesus is high. Let's close with this. The idea of self-sacrifice is difficult because it goes against everything that culture tells us. Think about it, if you would. Think about the American dream. 
Think about the American dream that we strive for in our life. We want to have a nice home and a nice car and a nice family, and we even want the white picket fence around it. But I want to ask you this morning, do you want your life to count? Do you want your life to matter? Do you want your life to make a difference? For your life to make a difference, you don't have to be super intelligent. You don't have to have a high IQ. You don't have to have gone to the the best school or come from a great family. To make a difference, you don't have to be good looking or come from the right part of town. It's not about what you come from, but it is about what grips you. It's about what drives your life. It's about what motivates you. It's about what excites you in the morning. The sad reality is that most folks do not care about making a difference. Most folks only care about being liked or climbing up the ladder of success or having a nice car or a nice vacation and being healthy and having a good retirement. And most folks do not give a rip about the eternity that is to come. And for many, the American dream is nothing more than a tragedy. John Piper brings up a a Reader's Digest. I remember the Reader's Digest. Reader's Digest, and there was a story in the Reader's Digest. And the title is, Start Now, Retire Early. Start Now, Retire Early. There's a man named Mark and a woman named Penny. And they're right into the Reader's Digest, and they talk about their life. And they say, we were blessed because we retired in our mid-50s. They lived in the Midwest, but upon retiring, they moved down to the coast of Florida. And they're on the coast, and now what they do is they go out in their 30-foot boat, and they coast down the bay. Day after day, they're able to go and coast down the bay. Now, they're writing about their life, and they say, what we enjoy is we enjoy playing tennis. We enjoy playing softball. And we enjoy walking down the beach and collecting seashells. We love that we are able now to walk down the beach and collect seashells. We have worked our entire life. We have climbed the ladder of success. We have got our life to the point to where now what drives us is walking down the beach and collecting seashells. And my friends, that is a tragedy. To work through life to get to the point that all you live for is collecting some seashells. So that one day you can stand before God and you can say, God, check out my seashells. God, look at what I've done with my life. Look at this awesome seashell collection. And if that's not enough, God, I've got a boat and I've got a nice car and I've got a nice home. Look at all my shells I've got, Lord. Look at what I've done with my life. 
I finally reached it, and now I'm able to collect shells day after day after day. And I'm telling you, that is a tragedy. There is more that we are called to as believers than collecting shells. And it's going to be a shame to stand before God and all of our works are as worthless as seashells. So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to bow your head. And I want you to ask yourself, am I making my life count? Am I making my life count? Or am I collecting seashells? Does my life make a difference? Or is it all about me and is it all about my hopes and my dreams and my family and my seashell collection? You see, it could be that you're here this morning and maybe you have fooled yourself into thinking you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the reality is you never surrendered to him. Followers surrender, always. And so the problem could be that you never surrendered to him and you know this morning that you're not truly saved. And I pray that if the Lord is leading you to salvation, this will be the day. No excuses, but this will be the day of salvation. There's others and you're here and you know that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've been living your life collecting seashells. That's what your life has been, collecting seashells. And the Lord has convicted you this morning and has shown you ways that you need to deny yourself and you need to live for Him. And so are you going to do it? Are you going to continue picking up seashells or will you live your life to make a difference to make an impact it's up to you maybe you're here this morning you're looking for a church you say we need to change some things our family we need to get plugged into a church we'd love to have you right here my prayer the Lord is leading in your life that you will be obedient that we will be a group of people who will wake up in the morning and say Lord it's not about me but it's all about you today God, we thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you so much for these who have come. Lord, I pray that you have spoken, that you have challenged us, God. And I pray that we will be obedient. Lord, the text goes on to say, if we're ashamed of you, you'll be ashamed of us. So Lord, I pray if there is one here this morning who needs to come surrender their life to you and make it public, Lord, I pray they will do so here shortly. Lord, I pray for those, God, who are wasting life collecting seashells. I pray that you have convicted, God, and we will live a life that honors you no matter what. Lord, I pray that your will will be done, and we thank you in advance for that. In Jesus' name, amen.